0: G'day wherever you may be around the world and thank you for your company once again on truth to you.org that's truth number 2 you.org joining me is the director of education and counseling for Jews for Judaism in Canada the the website is uh, jewsforjudaism.ca that's jewsforjudaism.ca welcome back to the program rabbi michael Skobak. And a blast to be here with you. (laughs) It's always great to have you on the program, my friend. Uh, We are continuing in our series exploring the Book of Psalms chapter by chapter and asking the question, who composed the psalm? What is it about and what was happening in the life of the author at the time of the composition? How does it apply to us today also? Uh, When applicable, what would Christianity have us believe about each psalm, and how does that deviate from the original intent? This week, we are in Psalm chapter 15. Again, it's a really short one, but yeah, I don't know if it's going to be a short program. It it only has five verses, uh, it would, would seem. It's a psalm of David. Uh, And it's an interesting subtitle in my New King James uh, study uh, Bible, the Christian translation. It says, The Character of Those Who May Dwell With the Lord. Uh, It begins like this, Michael. It says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears by his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Michael. Uh, you know, we should be happy that uh,
1: with this psalm we'll be finishing one tenth of the book of mm.
2: Psalms. How about fifty
1: that? chapters—that's nice. Yeah, you see that we're we're on our way. When did we start this?
0: Uh, when when did we start this series?
1: Oh, half a year ago.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> don't
2: that don't means we do
0: twenty percent of the first psalm. That's four, that's five years. So in five years we'll be done. Unless we speed up. Well, it's possible. <laughs> but we have some of these The know, chapters only
2: get longer, psalms.
1: though. The chapters only get longer. They're going to get really big. Yeah. Um, so actually, we should have been going faster <laughs> already. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I find this psalm interesting because, you know, we've been doing uh, all these psalms where the, the theme has always been, I guess, since we began Psalm 2, up until last last psalm, Psalm fourteen, mm-hmm. it was always focusing on those rotten, wicked people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's been a major uh, theme of virtually all the other psalms. Even the first psalm uh, contrasts the you know those who are righteous with those who are wicked. Mm. But the other psalms all are these basically laments or complaints by David, you know, about either the people that were trying to kill him, or the people that were rooting for the people who were trying Mm. to kill him, or the people who were happy that he was being sought after to be killed, or he was talking in general about wicked people, but this psalm doesn't really focus on that at all, and it seems to break the pattern and begin, I think, the next few psalms will focus similarly on the topic of, you know, who are... How do we understand the definition of uh, righteous people, good people, Mm -hmm. people who are worthy in the eyes of
0: God? And uh, And so, it is a shift. I mean, it seems to be uh, a a psalm. Well, it is a psalm uh, of instruction. I mean, is that fair? I mean, the the last uh, Psalm 14 was uh, kind of along those lines as well, and it was a little bit different. Uh, This, again, is a, a psalm. Of uh, of instruction to uh, to people, but you're right. It focuses on uh, moral character. Is that fair? Yeah. Um, really, sort of fleshing out
1: what does it mean to be the kind of person who is worthy of dwelling in the presence of God. Mm. Um, which in the Psalms comes up frequently. Um, this idea of you know dwelling in the in the uh on the mountain of god or dwelling in the sanctuary of god or dwelling in the presence of god or you know it's expressed in many different ways but it's a theme that comes up repeatedly in the book of psalms this desire on the part of david uh to basically have this ongoing intimate relationship with god i think it's in chapter 27 if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. Uh, where he says, you know, there's one thing that I ask for, uh, one thing that I seek. And uh, he says, uh, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to worship in his temple. Mm. That's the one thing that David says he is seeking. Like if he had one wish, that would be it. And so it it comes up frequently. And uh, here he's focusing on the question of, you know, who is worthy? It's interesting that the same question comes up also in uh, Psalm 24, where uh, David says, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord and who may stand in his place? So it's asking the same question that's being asked here, implicitly asked here. It's not so much uh, – uh, yeah, here it's asked as a question, who, who is uh, – who may who may live in your tent, who mm-hmm. may dwell on your holy mountain. So who has the qualities to be worthy? And in, in Psalm 24, it gives a similar answer. He who has a clean hands and a pure heart, who has not taken my name in vain, who has not sworn deceitfully,
0: so, there it's not a, it's a, it's a just, very brief uh, that was just, sorry to interrupt, but you said, who has not taken my name in vain. It's really interesting in the translation that I'm looking at, uh, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. Interesting. I guess when we get to Psalm 24, we're going to have to battle that one out. We'll have a look at that <laughs> one when we get there, yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, but you're right, it, it asks the same question. Uh, th- this one kicks off by saying, he who walks uprightly works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. Uh, the first thing I suppose that comes uh, to one's mind is, well, how do we define those three things? How, how do we define walking uprightly, uh, righteousness and truth? That um, immediately took me to, to Psalm 119, as um, so many things do. And uh, when it comes to truth, for example, um, all your commandments are truth. Psalm 119, verse 151 and, uh, and 160, the entirety of your word is truth. Every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Uh, as for righteousness, Psalm 119, verse 172, um, my tongue shall speak of your word. All of your commandments are righteousness.
1: Yeah, that's really defining uh, these terms, uh, you know, uh, but here it's interesting that David is focusing on the person who speaks truth in his heart. Mm. You know, it could have just simply said the one who speaks truthfully, and, you know, the question is, what does it mean to speak about having truth in your heart,
0: well, I guess one can say the right things, knowing what the right things are to say, but whether you actually think those sincerely or not, uh, whether you believe those to be true, uh, may be a different thing. Is that fair?
1: So, having some kind of a, uh, a consistency between uh, our speech and our heart.
0: Well, yeah, because I mean, uh, I think the word is uh, the words of lip service. Uh, one can pay lip service. One can, uh, you know, we all usually know the right things to say. Uh, whether we actually believe it or not uh, may be a different matter.
1: See, in those cases, you may question whether the person is speaking truthfully. They they may be speaking the right kind of things. The you know the uh, what's polite, but it may not be truthful. You know, there are many times when, uh, in order to preserve the peace, so to speak, we we may not really be totally truthful. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, what is this? <laughs> What do you think about my new
0: car? <laughs> so, what are you going to say? Oh, you know, you know that's it's, a very interesting pink. <laughs> 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 but if they see in
1: your heart, you think it's it's hideous. You're just yeah. trying to be uh, politically correct, or you're trying to be diplomatic. Mm. And that may not be, you know, purely telling the truth. So it it is interesting what you're raising, this this sort of sometimes dichotomy between what we say and what we really feel deep down inside. Um, The Talmud has an interesting spin on what this means to speak the truth in your heart. Mm -hmm. Um, They tell a story of one of the sages, Rabbi Safra of Safra. Mm. And uh, he was once praying. He was in the middle of his prayers, and he had something for sale. I don't remember the exact story, but he was selling a cow or something, or, you know, mm. he was selling a goat. And I guess in, in the classified ads, he, he uh, you know, he, he said that he's got a cow or a goat for sale. And someone came by and wanted to make an offer. Mm. And so the fellow offered, let's say, 100 zoos or whatever he offered. And because Rev Safra was in the middle of praying, he wasn't able to answer. He couldn't interrupt his prayers. So he basically didn't say anything. And this fellow assumed that he was rejecting the offer. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's not, he's not going to accept that. So the guy upped his offer to 200 zoos. And I think he, he again couldn't speak. And so the guy, I think, went up a third time to 300 zoos. And the, the the story in the Talmud is that once, when the guy first offered 100 zoos, that was what he was prepared to sell it for initially. Mm-hmm. He he was very happy to take that price. He just couldn't say uh, that he was going to agree to it. And so when he finished praying, he told the guy that he's willing to sell it for a hundred, even though the fellow had already offered three hundred. You know, he could have been less than honest and taken the three hundred dollars which was offered by this fellow. But since in his heart he had already uh, resolved to to, to take a hundred. Um, yeah, you know that's
0: an example of. No, I'm taking. I'm taking the three hundred. <laughs> that's not, That's not. What kind of salesman was the rabbi? Come on, you, the first person to talk in negotiation is is the one who loses. You got. You got you to let. You know that's three hundred. <laughs> <So>, uh, <laughs> A product guess- is only <laughs> worth as much as one is willing to pay for it. If he wants to pay three hundred, sure, that's what it's worth. No, exactly. I mean, that's why. By
1: the way, it's interesting that. It's not so easy to do this, but the the way that many of the uh, traditional Jewish commentaries read this psalm is that it, it, it's it's not speaking about basic uh, requirements of uh, ethical behavior because mm-hmm. they assume that you know to, to do that you know like not to rip people off that's not super worthy it just means you're not a criminal. And so they look at all of these – there are 11 – these are 11 basic ideas that David is sharing, that all of these are somewhat going beyond the letter of the law, meaning that theoretically you could take the 300 and be perfectly within your rights. I mean Hmm. the fellow was willing to pay it, and after all, if you're trying to get a good price for your goat or your cow or whatever Hmm. it is, why not? But here is an example of exemplary behavior – Because he felt that since he had in his heart, uh, you know, been happy, he was happy once Mm. the person offered the hundred. So in his heart, that was the truth, and he stuck with it.
0: So I mean, I mean, just to to take that further into, uh, I mean, if he had uh, advertised it anywhere or or said to somebody uh, officially, you know, I I want a hundred for it. It's worth a hundred. Um, and then to take 300 to someone who was unaware of perhaps, you know, the, the sign you put on the community notice board or, or, uh, or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, then, then that could be a little dishonest. The person may go away uh, and then see the sign that says, I've got a goat, I'm selling it for 100 Uh he, he would almost be in his right to, to take it back and say, you know, what's going on? Um, price went up. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Come on. You advertise it for a hundred and you, you, anyway. So yeah, the, the, there would be cause for, uh, for upset there. I would think.
1: There, That would be a different case.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Here, the price had not been, uh, you know, advertised.
2: Okay. Um, now come, the, the, what's more difficult.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. I am. <laughs> yeah. What's more difficult. <laughs> Don't come to my house when I'm praying. <laughs> to, to buy my wallower. Um, so, the question is, what does it mean, you know, to speak about someone who walks uprightly?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's somewhat vague. And to say someone acts righteously, um, you know, they seem like general uh, descriptions of, you know, people that are living exemplary lives. But it's not very well defined to say, you know, that the person who walks uprightly um, and acts righteously. Mm. Um, speaking truth in the heart is, you know, also hard to define Um, But it's less vague. It's more, in some ways, precise. Um, So that's the problem with with this first verse here. You know, who may merit to live in in God's presence? Um, You know, what does it mean to walk uprightly? How exactly is that defined?
2: Mm. Um,
1: What does it mean to act righteously? Um, So I think that we might say, possibly, that the rest of this psalm is giving examples of These first two opening salvos, uh, what does it mean to walk uprightly and to act righteously? And then the rest of them seem to be pretty precise um, and maybe examples of what this is.
0: I'm going to uh, Uh, switch to my Jewish study Bible because, honestly, I just prefer this translation when it comes to this psalm. Um, And uh, just to read verse 2 again, He who lives without blame, who does what is right and in his heart acknowledges the truth. Uh, Verse 3, whose tongue is not given to evil, who has never done harm to his fellow or borne reproach for his act towards his neighbor. It says, for whom a contemptible man is abhorrence. That's an interesting choice of words. I mean, it it, it paints a picture of someone who uh, is not willing to um, compromise on what they believe to be true.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, often we might think of a, of a really, really righteous person um, as someone who uh, doesn't necessarily have contempt for people that are uh, wicked. I mean, maybe they, they you know, because we've spoken about this in the past, do you despise their the, the sinner or the sinner's sin? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here it seems to be speaking about having contempt for the person. Mm-hmm. And you know there are other places in Psalms where it speaks about um, you know uh, hating the you know the sinner and desiring that sins be uprooted. I think it's one of the verses in the Book of Psalms. Yitamu in mm-hmm. let sins be wiped out from the, the face of the earth. But we don't seek the destruction of the sinner. Um, so it's interesting that here, I guess you're right. This person is so principled, this person has such strong uh, standards for himself or herself mm. that they just can't tolerate wicked people. And so they uh, have nothing, nothing but contempt for the – here I have it translated as who has nothing but contempt for a vile man. Mm. Um, yeah. So I guess it's pretty pretty strong personality.
0: Um, and on the know, other hand, t- on the other hand, who honors those who fear the Lord? Right. Hmm. Which is the, the flip side. Yeah. Um,
1: now some of these are not so uh, you know simple to understand. It's interesting that um, he, he speaks about not spreading gossip, and the the Hebrew word is interesting. Um, the Hebrew word is lo rogal, al shonoh. Now the word regal, it even sounds similar in English to the word regular. Mm-hmm. Um, but the word in Hebrew is similar to regel, which means foot. Now, what does foot have to do with
0: slander? With with someone who speaks, uh, what's the translation that you have? Uh, I've got uh, whose tongue is not given to evil, who has never done harm to his fellow. Yeah, so the the evil tongue we speak in, you know, Hebrew about lashon hara,
1: mm. um, specifically, you know, slandering people. Mm. Um, you know, sometimes it could be just wicked gossip. Yeah, okay. or false it's interesting. That might be different because that's lying in the, in the Bible. Usually, gossip is true. It's not once you're lying about them, you're actually doing something worse. But the Torah law prohibits. Even things that are true that are just not complimentary or that are diminishing of people, and the Torah uses this word of regal or regel, um, like in, in in the Bible it says lo telech rachil in Leviticus nineteen sixteen. Now, um, that's the prohibition against speaking what we call uh, you know about people in a negative way. And there, the word is not regel, but rachiel. Now, etymologically, those words are related. Regel, foot, mm-hmm. and rachiel means a peddler. So they speak about the pe- don't ah. peddle information.
0: Now, obviously, so transporting transporting the uh, the story is is that what it's
2: referring to? Yes, right. Yeah. I mean,
1: <laughs> you're you're dealing in right stories. You're you're uh, you're a uh, you know, a spreader, yeah. and you're walking around, right? And that's what a peddler does. A peddler is usually back then, they didn't have a
0: bicycle or a car, they walked. Yeah. Um, so, so not, not only, the only are they spreading gossip, but they're going out of their way to, you know, be the first one with the news. Oh, did you hear what happened to such and such? Oh, I think it's, you know, it's this and that, and then, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then they And off they are to the next house or whatever. They want to be the first in with the news um, and and to spread it around, and that's the, one of the most insidious parts about it is that it, the spreading
1: of it, mm. uh, you know, the, because you know it, it, it becomes something which takes on a life of its own. Mm. It goes viral mm. once you know it's out there. It goes viral. You can't really take it back so easily. Mm. Um, so that that's an interesting term in the Hebrew. It may not come so, through so clearly in the English. Um, and then just, I wanted to go back for a second, if I could, to verse 2, yeah. where he speaks about the person who, um, uh, he speaks about holech tamim, um, which I think you said it was someone who walks uprightly.
0: Yeah, uprightly. Now, that's in the uh, New King James, in the, in the uh, Jewish study Bible. I've got, he who lives without blame, who does what is right. We have that description of Job, don't we?
1: Yes. And... Um, the word in Hebrew here is tamim, um, which is related to the word tam. Um, it comes up, I think, the first time in Genesis 6, um, verse 9, about Noah, mm-hmm. who was referred to as a tzaddik tamim, a perfectly righteous person. So tam, or tamim, can mean perfect or whole. Um, Jacob, in Genesis 25, verse 27, is called an ishtam. mm mm-hmm. Um, there, it's not clear what it means, because uh, it can mean simple, um, but usually it, it means whole, and uh, whole in a very pure kind of way. There's a fascinating verse in Deuteronomy 18, verse 13, which mm-hmm. says, "Tamim Im Hashem You shall be tamim, perfect, or whole, um, with the Lord your God. And it's in the context of all of these prohibited cultic practices like Mm. they speak about don't use divination and don't be a soothsayer and don't – and then after all those prohibitions, it says you should be whole with uh, the Lord, your God. Meaning don't try to uh, take shortcuts and outmaneuver God and come up with uh, – don't try and beat the system and basically go through life. You know, without using all of these techniques to try and, you know, see what's up ahead. Mm. You know, go through life with a sort of more whole, plain, uh, simple, uh, uncorrupted uh, walk with God. Mm. You don't have to. Don't. 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 Uh, game the system, or whatever the expression is. You know, don't. Don't look for devices to, you know, somehow gain an advantage or. You know, get an upper hand on on the way God runs the world. Mm. You know, God knows what he's doing, and you should be wholehearted, tamim, with God. Um, God says to Abraham in Genesis 17, 1, lefanai tamim. walk before me and be tamim. Again, blameless or perfect or innocent. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it is, you know, a word which we do find in the Bible, although it's not... A million percent clear what it means to walk blameless because again it's not clear that tamim means exclusively blameless tam again can mean perfect or innocent it speaks here about um, in verse 4 as you were just saying that in his eyes the vile person is despised Mm. Um, the Talmud gives uh, an interesting example of this We know that uh, Hezekiah's uh, father was a wicked person. His his father was Ahaz, uh, who was an idolater. Mm. So the Talmud says that uh, Hezekiah didn't give his father any rights of honor after he died. Uh, Meaning that even his father, he didn't flatter, he didn't... Uh, give honor to and actually the Talmud goes further and says that he dragged his bones on a bed of rope. Really? He sort of treated him with. Yeah, he, 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 he treated him in a, in a debasing kind of way, even though it was his father, but he was an idolater. And so uh, the Talmud gives that as an example
0: Um now, well, now you know what you've just opened a can of worms because <laughs> oh, I love doing that. That's why these are not. That's why this is not going to be a five-minute show. Here we are in the uh, commandment uh, to honor your mother and your father, uh, Exodus chapter twenty, and uh, and and here in uh, fifteen four, uh, for whom a contemptible man is abhorrent, but who honors those who fear the Lord. And the question then becomes, well, do we only honor our parents if they fear the Lord? And we don't if they're idolaters?
1: So, um, honoring our parents um, does not depend upon them fearing the Lord. Um, you know, we are commanded to honor and not just honor, but to have awe, hold our parents in awe. Mm-hmm. Um, both words are used. esavicha uh, called, honor your father and mother, and um, you shall be in awe. fear. Well, fear is not really a great word. Uh, and it doesn't say that it depends upon them being righteous, God-fearing mm. people. Um, so
0: then is this, is this story of who uh, putting him at fault?
1: I, the Talmud doesn't see it that way. No. I mean, the Talmud seems to say that um, normally you are required to honor your parents. Now, what's interesting is that um, you know you could ask the question, does that only apply when they're alive? Uh, are you required to honor them after they're no longer on this earth? That's certainly a question worth asking. Um, but it seems that they're saying uh, that you'd make an exception to this, that you would not honor parents who themselves did not honor God. Mm. Um, for example, the, the Talmud speaks about the, the simple question about what if your parents ask you to violate the Sabbath? Mm. Do you have to honor them and obey their uh, their requests? So the Talmud says no. Um, you know that that's and they base it upon verses in the Bible that even the parents are required to honor the Sabbath. Mm. So if they ask you to violate it, you're not required to honor your parents in that mm. situation. Mm. Um, So, the parents that that go to the extreme and, you know, and he wasn't just, you know, an innocent idolater. He was like a a major league idolater. Um, So, they don't see this as a violation of, you know, his requirement to honor his parents.
0: Certainly, Heskiyahu's father uh, was not to the scale of his son. Uh, the interesting thing about it is, of course, that in uh, Exodus 20, uh, we, we, we've jumped, well, I suppose we're still on topic, but I'm going to go here. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 12: Honor your father and your mother, that you may long endure on the land that the Lord your God assigns to you. The interesting thing about that, of course, is that Hezekiah uh, was given his marching orders and he had uh, Isaiah pray on his behalf, and God granted him an extra 15 years and uh during that time we we uh unfortunately <laughs> he he begot uh, manasha i'm just uh it, it's interesting that um that the talmud would have a story like that uh where uh Hezkyahu seems to dishonor his his father in an extreme way uh and yet we do have in the in the text that um uh, that he was granted uh, extra longevity a, on the
1: land and a, and a horrible son and a horrible son <laughs> as a result of that yeah
0: Interesting how that works out. Yeah, now I can see that turning into an hour-long conversation, yeah. I'll share one other translation, by the way, of this
1: phrase, because it's not easy to translate. Um, Normally it is translated as someone who, you know, has contempt for the wicked, but the radak translates it as, he is despicable in his own eyes and Ah. repulsive. I Meaning that uh, I think it's an extreme way of putting it, but I think it's an expression of humility. That you know, even though this person is—I mean, obviously, if you look at the person profiled in this chapter, mm. he's you know a pretty good guy—and yet he doesn't hold himself up as a pretty good guy. I mean, you think that a person like this could walk around very proud of himself? Mm. And so the redox says, "No, you know, despite all of th- these wonderful character traits, he." you know, always sees himself as less than. Uh, he doesn't see himself as... Bad. You know, there's, there's a thing I once heard from one of my teachers in Jerusalem. He said, if you have two people in front of you, one of them is really, really wicked, and one of them is really, really righteous, which one is more likely to think of themselves as good? So, this is the truth is that it's more likely the really wicked person is going to think of himself as good because the really righteous person is going to say, you know, I could have been better. I, mm. could, I could have done better. <laughs> um, so that, it's an interesting translation by, by the radak. Um, you know, like one question, which maybe we'll get to a little bit later, is why specifically these 11 qualities? Um, you know, is there something that that's special about these in particular? Because the truth is, if we sat down and brainstormed, we could probably come up with a longer list of, of qualities, mm-hmm. you know, of of, of honorable qualities. Um, you know, it speaks here about the person who, uh, now again, I'm not sure how you translated it, but in my translation, it's the person that swears to their detriment.
0: Now, I like the way that, change. Uh, yeah, now swears to that detriment, that's really good. And uh, I, I like the way also that it is in the uh, Jewish study Bible here, who stands by his oath even to his hurt. So, what would that be talking about? If, you, if he's made a pledge to do something, and in the course of the time that, that it comes to, com, uh, to to bring that to fruition, and, uh, and it's no longer in his favor, he still goes ahead and does it because he's, he's uh, put his name to it, if you like.
1: Okay. So, that's a great example that maybe when they first made the oath, uh, things were not going to be as detrimental and then maybe at some point it changed and became detrimental and he's going to just stick to it because that's the oath that he made. It's not as unusual as we think it is. Mm. You know, there are many times we make commitments in life, you know, even though if we don't, let's say, technically make an oath. But we, you know, we, we make commitments. We say well, we intend to do something. We, you know, give the impression to someone uh, that, you know, this is our intention. Mm. And, uh, you know, we might have a change of heart or circumstances might change and uh, you know as far as we're concerned we have every right in the world I didn't you know intend to do this if something would have changed Um, but people that are on a high level stick to their word Mm. Um, so yeah it's interesting that um, it's speaking specifically not about someone who sticks to their oath but sticks to their oath even to their detriment that mm-hmm. seems to be the, the noble part here. Because you could maybe say that when it's to their detriment, maybe the oath doesn't technically apply anymore if such circumstances changed. And this person is so honest uh, and so, you know, scrupulous mm. that even if technically they might be able to get out of something because the circumstances changed, um, they stick to their original uh, commitment. Sure. Um, and then it speaks about not giving money on interest. Now, why is that virtuous? I mean, the, the, the Bible prohibits it. You know? um, you know, again, it, it would seem to mean that the person is not a criminal. That's not virtuous. That's That's what the law requires. Um, it's in Leviticus chapter 25 verse mm. 37 I believe
0: yeah specific
1: um, yeah so th- th- there are a few ways in which the commentaries deal with this one they say well it could be a case where the person is so eager to receive a loan you know uh, he's so desperate the person the person basically almost you know uh, begs him and, and you know, and, and prevails upon him to, to give him the loan, and he says, and, and of course, I, I can't just take the money with no interest. So it, it could be a case where uh, it, it's not that, you know, it's just a, a normal case of loaning money to someone, but the person was really. Um, uh, the person didn't mind. Let's say the person didn't mind at all. He was very happy to pay the interest, and he was in desperate need of a loan. The,
0: the higher so maybe, the risk, uh, uh, the, uh, the loan, uh, the more desperate one is to secure a loan. And yeah, you're right. They may offer and say, look, I don't mind. I will pay, I'll pay pay you interest. Just give me the loan. I really need it. I
1: really exactly. want to. And, and maybe that wouldn't be a violation of the biblical commandment, possibly. Um, another possible Issue is whether or not that prohibition applies to lending money to non-Jews. You know this mm. is the famous, uh, you know, issue of how Jews became known as money lenders. Mm. That the Bible prohibited, you know, lending money to uh, fellow Jews with interest. But not to others, and
0: to your to your it, brethren is what it says. And so, the, if I get yeah. this right, I think the Christians thought, well, uh, uh, my my fellow Christian is is my brethren. The Jews are not, therefore, we can get the Jews to charge the interest, and we're not uh, violating the commandment. Is that is that the the way they thought it through?
1: Well, not just they, but I mean, we also apparently made that distinction mm-hmm. based upon our understanding of the scripture that that technically speaking, the prohibition does not apply to. Um, non Jews, mm. and so here, the the person, you know, is the kind of person that's not going to take interest even from non Jews, even though again, technically speaking, they'd be allowed to. Mm. Um, another possibility is that the word in the verse here is a pretty strong word. Uh, the word is um, kaspo lo nosan means literally to bite. You know, and it, it, it's it's a, a violent kind of biting. Um, ah. it's, I think, if I remember correctly, you know, I, I have to check, double check this, but if I remember correctly, you know, Rabbi Akiva, the great sage, he did not. He was an ignoramus. He was illiterate until he was about forty years old, and he began studying uh, Torah when he was. In, I mean, he was forty, but he wasn't only ignorant. He said about himself that he hated Torah scholars. He hated them, and he says at one point that he if, he, if he, he said, I hated them so much that if I saw one, I would bite him like a donkey's bite. <laughs> I would. Now, obviously, he's being, you know, uh, you know, the, 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 he's exaggerating for effect. Hopefully, he's speaking. He's being, uh, he's don- being hyperbolic. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit of hyperbole. But you know, the bite of a donkey is a pretty vicious bite. You know, it's not like, body, you know, getting bit with the gums of a of, of an infant that's not got teeth yet. Mm. Uh, so the, the word here is interesting because there's another word that we have for interest, which is repeat. Um Sounds like a frog. <laughs> so um, here it's a different word. Here mm-hmm. it's to 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 bite, or or really a better word would be in terms of the context here, gouge. And so. Um, He's saying that you know um, it could be that there are situations where it's okay to lend money um, with interest, for example, to the person who you know is willing to pay the interest. Or let's say the person that's not Jewish; it may be permissible. But this person is not someone who gouges. He's not like a loan shark that's going to, let's say ask for an exorbitant rate of interest or someone who is going to you know uh, uh, you know be vicious when it comes to getting paid back so he might be speaking about that kind of a situation
0: I've just, I've just reached for my uh, collection of Shakespeare and um, because it reminds me of the, of the Merchant of Venice and I'm not sure if that's fair but uh, when you say bite, it reminds me of you know that that pound of flesh, uh, yeah. that he um, that he lends. Uh, yeah, maybe it is a fair comparison. Interesting. Wow. Mm. I have
1: to confess that I never
0: read *The Merchant of Venice*. You haven't?
1: Oh no. We we did a little bit of Shakespeare when I was in high school. Um, but we never got to that.
0: Yeah, it's not really kind to us, to be honest. But um, <laughs> uh, but, but it's um, just yeah, just the uh, you you remind me when you, when you use the word bite when you use the word uh, interest uh, lending. Now I do believe he's lending to a a Christian. In fact, I, I seem to recall him saying that I despise him for he is a Christian, and I will um, uh, impose uh, such a um, a heavy interest upon him. Uh, I'll have to read it again. But- Do you remember the, the uh, cartoon, The Wizard of Id? <laughs> no. <laughs> there was a,
1: there was a cartoon called The Wizard of Id. I'm not sure it exists anymore.
2: Right.
1: And I rem- I remember uh, seeing one where th- there's a fellow that's on the, the just on the road, and I, I someone else passes by and, and asks how much it would cost to borrow, you know, eighty drachmar. And the the elder fellow says, "Well, that'll cost you two hundred drachmar." And he says, wow, your interest is pretty high, isn't it? He says, on the contrary, I could care less. (laughs) So (laughs) don't ask me why I thought of that. Um, (laughs) um, So here, we we come to the conclusion after this person, we're told that they won't uh, lend out their money on interest, uh, not taking a bribe against the innocent. The Talmud gives a strange example about that, by the way, because Mm. again – Taking a bribe, a judge to take a bribe, that's just completely prohibited. Hmm. You know, that, that's a, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean you're, you're virtuous, you're a great person if you don't do that. The Talmud says its they sort of squeeze it into a weird case of a bribe to a judge to free an innocent person that he was going to free anyway. Meaning that it was a weird case where the judge had already decided to ah. free someone. And oh, right. the, the, the people didn't know that the judge had decided. And so, you know... Uh, and they said,
0: look, I just sold this cow for 300 um, zoos and I'll give that <laughs> to you so that you can free what's-his-name, even though he was yes. going to free him anyway. But he says, sure, yeah, just give that to me under the table. Yeah, I'll do you that favor. It's going to do it anyway, exactly. but sure. I'll go and so buy a cow with that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: that might be the case that it's speaking about. Again, see, in each of these
1: cases... If it's a case where the person is not doing something that's explicitly prohibited, that's no big deal. So, they they try to reframe these
0: in ways where it's especially virtuous. Yeah, but that's Uh, not really against the innocent, though, is it? Because if he's innocent and the judge is going to uh, let him go free, he's not taking a bribe against the innocent. To take a bribe against the innocent is to to not let justice prevail – though they are innocent, to not pronounce them as innocent because he's been paid to pronounce them guilty.
1: Yeah, I don't know if the word against here is... Ah, um, it's not, maybe it's so not
0: explicit. So, that's what I've got in that so translation. Attribute. I'm going to go to my, to my Christian yeah. translation, and um, it says, uh, uh, nor it really does he take a word, bribe. Yeah, I've got against here as well.
1: Yeah, the word al it really means concerning.
0: Concerning, um, innocent. Okay. Yeah,
1: it's 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 uh, it's... It, it it's like a small thing, but I think it just change everything. Yeah, here. it does.
0: Well, that that leaves room for such an example. Yeah,
1: exactly. Mm. Um, now, here's here's the big question that that bothered me about this psalm. Mm. I mean, this is uh, you know when, when I went through this psalm, there, it, it, there was a big big question mark in my mind. Um, you know, it begins by asking the question you know who is who is who really is worthy mm-hmm. of dwelling in God's tent and on his mountain which really means in the context of the book of psalms not just someone who you know would be accepted to hang out in the temple but it really is speaking i believe uh, you know the, the temple is the place of God's presence mm. so I don't think it's it's really saying that this person's going to you know, just stay in a temple 24-7 right. but it, it's really it, it's, a, it's speaking sort of symbolically of the person that is worthy of having this kind of close tight relationship with God where um, you know God is always with them mm. and they always have the presence of God um, you know what, what, what kind of person will merit that kind of intimacy, and the Talmud has a very famous, is a very very famous passage in the Talmud where they discuss how do we know that there are six hundred and thirteen commandments? It's the last page or so in tractate Makot, mm-hmm. and so they they quote a verse in the Bible, Torah Tziva Moshe. Moses commanded us the Torah. And they take the word Torah and they take its numerical value, which is 611. Mm -hmm. So they say Moses commanded 611. And we know that the first two of the Aseret Hadebro, the first two of the ten commandments that were given at Sinai, are ones that they heard directly from God. Because Mm -hmm. when we look at the first two, they're in the first person I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. God is obviously speaking. Mm And the, the, the scripture says that the people freaked out. They couldn't handle this direct revelation. And so they asked Moses to
0: just receive yeah. everything for them. You, you go and do it. Because <laughs> otherwise yeah, we're going to die. We are yeah.
1: going we just can't handle it. Yeah. It's going to fry us. And so the third of the commandments switches to the third person. take, Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It should have said, don't take my name in vain. Mm-hmm. So the Talmud says that Moses commanded 6.11 – we heard two directly from God, total of 613. And then the Talmud goes on to say that King David sort of diluted, not diluted, but condensed them. He, David condensed them all into 11. That's what the Talmud says, that, that David took the 613 commandments and he concentrated them like you know reduced them he, he like I guess in a zipped file or whatever on a computer right. he, he zipped them down into 11 and they quote these 11 uh, virtues in this psalm right
2: um,
1: and then the, the Talmud goes on and I'm not going to get into all those but the Talmud says that um, other people uh, then even reduced them even further that Isaiah in chapter 33 verse 15 reduced the 613 commandments to six. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the prophet Micha yep. um, in chapter 6, verse 8 reduced them to three. And then Isaiah came back and knocked them down to two in chapter 56 in Isaiah, verse 1, where he says to guard justice and do righteousness. Mm-hmm. So that's The whole Torah is those two. And then Amos, Amos in chapter 5, verse 4 says, seek me and live. And Amos reduces everything to that verse. And then the Talmud says, well, maybe that verse is referring to seeking the Torah. So Habakkuk, Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 4, reduced everything to one teaching, which is the righteous shall live by their faith. Beautiful. Um, And the question is, and it it really applies to almost all those other reductions, is that the, the text is asking the question, who is worthy of having an intimate relationship with God? And then all these lists go on to basically describe people who get along with other people. You know, what we speak about is commandments, ben adam lo commandments between man and his friend, man and his neighbor, man and other people. But no one seems to cite uh, teachings or scripture that deal with our relationship with God, which seems strange because the question was, you know, how do we have intimacy with God? What makes us worthy of having a connection to God? And then they don't speak about God. They speak about, you know, not charging interest and not lying and not slandering, you know, nothing about Someone who prays a lot and studies the Torah a lot and someone who meditates on God's presence and someone who tries to get other people to believe, whatever. It, it, it's it's sort of interesting that that happens in this mm. psalm. And if we go 15 psalms ahead, I think it's 15 psalms ahead, to Psalm 30, mm-hmm. something similar happens. Where it, it begins, we'll have a chance to speak about this in about six months, <laughs> probably, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, it begins by saying that it's a, a psalm for the dedication of the temple, Mizmorshir Chanukat Habayat, the David, mm-hmm. a, a psalm for the dedication of the temple, of the house of God mm-hmm. by David. And you would think that the psalm would speak about the temple. I mean, it sort of, that's what it introduces, but it doesn't speak at all about the temple. It speaks about, you know, a, a person, that, you know, the, the person's qualities. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, I think those two questions are similar, and I'll just throw in one more uh, thing into the pot here, which is a famous story in the Talmud uh, where someone who is not Jewish comes to uh, two great rabbis, Hillel and Shammai, and says, you know, I want to learn the entire Torah while you stand on one foot, which means basically i got 30 seconds to tell me everything you know. And so Shammai is offended by the question, says, you know, get the hell out of here, <laughs> chases him out. Mm-hmm. And Hillel says, if you want to understand the whole Torah while I'm standing on one foot, he says, what is hateful to you, don't do to your friend, meaning that if something really annoys you, don't do it to someone else. And he says, that's the whole Torah, that's it. But then he says, the rest is commentary, go and learn. Mm it's interesting also that you know Hillel in summing up the entire Torah really reduces it to a sort of stellar uh, human interaction and the question is what about our relationship
0: with god and so yeah, because it it is it, it does seem subjective doesn't it whereas the, uh, the 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 Torah itself is external to our own um uh, what what would what we would say is um, moral? Because what we would say may change from any given day uh, to the next. Um, I it, you know with all of the examples that you've given, I keep thinking I'd like to add to that list um, the the uh, final verses of Kohelet: uh, "Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all." Well, there it's interesting that you have the focus on God
1: and His commandments. Hmm. Now you could say that. Let's say half of his God's commandments are, uh, you know, affecting our relationship with our friends and neighbors, etc. But many of God's commandments are what we call ritual, or you know, dealing with, you know, holidays and dietary laws and you know, prayer and Torah study. Mm. But at least there, there, you know, it speaks about fearing God. Uh, whereas in, in so many of the summations, so to speak, of the right kind of life you know, um, were, uh, you know, Micha, what does Micha say in chapter 6, verse 8? You know, what does man, what does God require of you? But, to, you know, do righteous, act humbly, um, you know, do justice. Mm. There so many of these summaries of what the good life is in a spiritual way seem to focus exclusively on human interaction now it could be um I'm just hypothesizing here mm. that you know so many people who seek to be righteous um you know they get real religious <laughs> you know and it's sort of easy to be quote unquote religious you know it's it's easy to go to the temple it's easy to bring a sacrifice mm-hmm. it's easy to pray it's easy to study the torah um and so it, it, there is this prevalent uh, phenomenon of the quote-unquote religious person. You know, we all know them—the the the righteous person uh, who is not so righteous when it comes to the way they interact with other people. Mm-hmm. And so it could be that you know here this that David is beginning this psalm and asking the question: Who's the one that's really really worthy of living in intimacy with God? So it could be that David is saying it's not just someone. Who is trying to be intimate with God? That maybe is a starting point. Maybe that's, you know, the easy part of it. But you know, where the rubber hits the road is where that person is in their human interactions. Mm. Um, because, you know, there are plenty of people who, uh, you know, pray a lot, but they also speak negatively about others. Um, you know, and that may be more difficult to to achieve. Excellence in those areas, mm. um, and maybe uh, that's part of what's going on. We saw, we see this in the Bible a lot when the Bible and the prophets, uh, you know, scream at the people who are bringing sacrifices, but they don't treat others properly. And so all the prophets, you know, scolded these people and said, you know, God doesn't want in Isaiah chapter one. God doesn't want your sacrifices. He wants you to do good and to, you know, treat the widow and the orphan with respect and kindness etc mm. because again it's easy for you to be religious and, and show up at the temple and bring a sacrifice that's easy but what what's really uh, uh, the mark of a righteous holy person is whether that religiousness translates into the interpersonal realm mm. um, it could also be so that might be one part of this um, it might also be that um, not just that it's Artificially dividing our lives into these two realms, you know, our our relationship with other people and our relationship with God. But, you know, I, I think that what the our teachings reflect is the idea that everything really can be godly. You know, we artificially, I think, sometimes divide uh, the, the spiritual realm from the interpersonal realm. Mm-hmm. Um, almost like Augustine had his city of God,
2: yeah.
1: um, or you find in the New Testament, "Render unto Caesar which is Caesar's, and unto Mam, unto God which is God's." Mm-hmm. And I think that the Jewish, the Hebrew biblical, the Jewish biblical and Talmudic uh, frame of
0: reference is always no, it's artificial. There is only one realm. There's no division, and and uh, and, and the individual should have integrity throughout.
1: Yeah, and, and what, what I think it means is here, in terms of this psalm, is that these activities themselves can be spiritual, meaning that the way uh, we interact with other people, it's not just that I'm a, a nice guy, but I'm actually behaving in a spiritual way. Um, you know, for, as an example, uh, eating. Um, you know, People don't think of eating as a holy activity, as a spiritual activity. But in in uh, Torah sources, the way we eat can be spiritual, meaning that there's an idea of uplifting the physical to become a spiritual activity, to raise the earth up to the heavens. And so, it's not just that being honest and being uh, careful with our speech is a reflection of you know a nice guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are people who are. Not godly. There are people who are secular. There are people who are atheists that are nice people. Um, I think David here is speaking mm-hmm. about the kind of person that elevates this entire realm, the interpersonal realm, uh, t- to do it in a way that's holy, that reflects uh, godliness. Mm. That uh, that we should be able to see uh, the impression of God's hand upon a person who lives in a godly way. Mm. Uh, That we don't measure godliness only by, you know, a person's behavior in a synagogue or in a study hall or, um, you know, when they're interacting with God. But we can really or should be able to see uh, holiness and godliness and spiritual uh, integrity in the way they do everything in life. From Mm. the way they eat to the way they conduct their business to the way they interact with uh, their their co-workers and their neighbors and their family. I think that might be
0: what David is trying to teach here. Mm. Now, uh, very quickly, um, I I just want to throw this into the mix. Who may dwell, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? And I'm reading now from the notes in my New King James study Bible, certainly no one (laughs) except Jesus the Messiah. (laughs) There it is. Is that what it says? I'm not kidding. This oh. is what it says. Certainly no one uh certainly no one is except Jesus the Messiah. That's what they say. I have something similar.
1: I mean I, I was looking also in the New King James Version study bible where it says in verse two um that that here where it speaks about the person uh who what is it does righteousness. Mm-hmm. So, here I see the notes that it speaks of relative righteousness, not absolute righteousness. <laughs> right. For no one is innocent before God. So, the text here, though, does not indicate that it's speaking about a relative righteousness. I think that's a, a spin on what the text actually says. Mm. Um, you know, the, the, te- the text seems to be speaking about someone who you know, acts r- with righteousness without uh, tempering it or without modifying it. It doesn't say the person who acts with sort of relative uh, mm. righteousness. Mm. Uh, and I, I found in another study Bible, the MacArthur Study Bible, oh, yeah. John MacArthur, who's a very famous uh, and, and popular evangelical uh, mm. uh, scholar. So he says in his description of this entire psalm, something I think very revealing he says that the saved sinner is described as exhibiting indications of ethical integrity. So from his point of view, you know the, what kind of person is able to live like this? It can only be someone who is saved. And we know from his perspective that there's only one way in which a person can be saved, um, which is by embracing the, the death of the Messiah uh, and their atoning blood. Um, so you know, I would, if I had a chance to chat with, with MacArthur,
0: mm-hmm. I, would, I would ask, you know. I'd, I'd love to uh, record that program, by the way. Oh, what? his program? No, yours. When, when you get to have a, oh. uh, a chat with MacArthur, I'm just saying <laughs> now, let's record that. I'll, I'll give him a call tomorrow and we'll see what we can organize. <laughs> what would you say to him?
1: Well, I, I would wonder, you know, uh, I mean, this, these are old questions, but, you know, you know, were people like Isaiah and David uh, saved? You know, they didn't mm. have access to someone who died for their sins. Mm. Um, you know, w- were they people who were, would be able to exhibit indications of ethical integrity? Um, another question I was, that would ask is, is he implying that people who are not Christian are not able to live like this? Mm. Uh, it seems to be, uh, you know, stating that there's sort of an exclusive um, hold That the only people who are able to live like this, he's saying that the people described in this psalm are, you know, they they don't have this available to them unless they're a saved sinner. Mm -hmm. And his, I, I, I understand that his belief system is that, you know, you're not going to be saved through your own actions. You're not going to be saved by living this way his belief is that this kind of behavior is only possible once a person is saved it that he would claim that um you know these are the fruits these are the evidences of someone who has been saved from their sins um and the torah i believe very strongly says the exact opposite that we are able to achieve forgiveness for our sins we're able to uh even live exemplary moral and ethical and spiritual lives mm-hmm. um, without having to have some vicarious uh, sacrifice offered on our behalf, that, you know, each one of us is able to come to God uh, through our own work, through our own strivings, um, mm. you know, and, and the book of Psalms repeats this
0: so many times. So many times. It's, uh, yeah, no, my, I mean... The, in, in the study notes here, it goes on to say, Jesus makes us feel at home in the presence of the Father. It, uh, it quotes, or it references, rather, Hebrews chapter four. Uh, you know, when it goes on about Jesus being now the, the high priest, uh, fulfilling that role. Uh, and uh, verse 16 of uh, Hebrews four, uh, let us therefore come boldly into the, into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace Uh, to help in time of need Uh, and that's how they kind of yeah that's how they how they do that one um yeah but in any case psalm 15 psalm 15 psalm 15 brought to you by god indeed (laughs) thank you my friend Rabbi Michael Skoback, once again, always a great privilege to have you on and, and go through the Psalms chapter by chapter. The website, again, Jews for that's Jews for Judaism in Canada, Jews for uh, thank you, Michael Skoback, for coming back on. Thank you, Jono. And I look forward to uh, chapter 16 next time. You've been listening to Truth to You with me, John Vandor. Join me on the coming Truth to You Israel tour. Details at our website, truthtoyou.org. That's truth, number two, letter you, dot org. Thank you for your company, and I hope you'll join us again. Until next time, shalom. Mm-hmm.